Well, happy Easter. Oh, man. Today, in case you're not aware of this, today we are celebrating a real person and a real event. These things that we're singing about, they happened. This is for real. There was an empty tomb 2,000 years ago that testified to the fact that he is risen. He is risen indeed. People are still testifying to this, which is remarkable. Because back in the day, if you would have been saying things, walk around saying things like, he's risen indeed, you got a target on your back for that. Those people were persecuted for saying those things. And what a testimony to their witness that Christianity endured. And not just endured, it spread. It spread throughout the world. And here we are 2,000 years later, halfway around the planet, singing the songs that we're singing. Those who believed these things, they held tightly to their faith. Their faith endured whatever came their way. And today, we're going to be inviting you to lock into a faith that is the same. Well, we got a ton to cover here this morning and not much time to cover it. So let's dive right in. If you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to pull out your yellow inserts here and let's dive in with this. If the ancient testimonies, like I'm just talking about here, if the ancient testimonies about Jesus of Nazareth are true, we'd be crazy. We would be crazy to ignore God's invitation. If there really is an empty tomb, If he is really risen indeed, we would be crazy to ignore God's invitation. The ancient testimony that we've been looking at throughout the series here is a first century letter called the Book of Hebrews. And six Sundays ago, we opened up our Bibles together to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Let's circle back there as we bring this series to a close. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. I want to let you know if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free today. We keep a stack of them at the table there. We encourage you to take one as a gift. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Here's how this letter began, this testimony from those who endured long ago. At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by whom? His son. And he spoke loud through his son. Well, throughout this series, uh, we've been recommending a resource in addition to the Bible to, for those who want to dig more into Hebrews. It's uh, written by a guy named N.T. Wright. We put the information there in your, in your insert. We also included this quote about This thing that we just read here, here's here's what he has to say about this verse. He said, God's purposes, after long years of preparation, had now been fully unveiled. The wrapping had come off the present, and the present was Jesus himself. God's own unique son, sent to fulfill everything that the law and the prophets had spoken of. And whoever wrote this letter, we don't know for sure who did, But whoever wrote this letter set out to make a case that there has never, ever, 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 ever been anyone like Jesus of Nazareth. He was more than a righteous rabbi. He was more than a terrific teacher. He was more than a penitent prophet. The world had never seen anyone or anything like Jesus of Nazareth. And here he is, immortalized on stained glass. Well, as the author laid out his argument, he laid it out like a lawyer. We've commented on that before in this series. And he began by comparing Jesus to angels. Angels are powerful beings that inspire fear and awe and wonder. We've got a snapshot of one of them. There he is right there. 
Just one of these angels struck down over 185,000 Assyrian warriors. And yet, the author of Hebrews makes the claim that Jesus, he's above the angels. Angels are messengers. They're good soldiers who serve the living God. Jesus, he's not just a servant of the Almighty. In Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Well, after making the case that Jesus is above the angels, the author then compares Jesus to Moses. And I love this picture. You got little tiny Moses. You got big waves that God is holding back. He's holding back the waters. There was no one like Moses. And yet, Jesus was greater than Moses. Jesus could speak directly to the wind and the waves. If the testimonies are accurate, and I believe they are, Jesus could speak to the wind and the waves, and they obeyed him. Well, at this point, the author of Hebrews, he's only three chapters in, and from here he launches into his strongest argument yet. For the next seven chapters, the author of Hebrews makes the case that Jesus is the perfect priest. And high priest was a high position. He was the only person on the planet who was allowed into a special room called the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. This might even be a snapshot of the real... No, it's just not. But this was kept. Well, the high priest, he could only enter in the Holy of Holies once a year. Once a year. But Jesus was the perfect priest whose perfect sacrifice made it possible for sinful people like us to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Once a year... No, daily. The sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf transformed sinners into saints. He initiated a new priesthood of all believers who are themselves temples of the Holy Spirit. Yesterday, I was reading a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. And the author told this story about a Catholic woman who's having visions of Jesus. And I think it illustrates this whole thing of how remarkable this sacrifice was. Well, the reports reached the archbishop that this woman was having these visions of Jesus. And he said, I better look into this. If it's true, better look into this. If it's not true, we better cut this thing off quick. So he paid her a visit and he gave her a test. The bishop said to the woman, next time you've got a vision, I want you to ask Jesus to tell you what I confessed at my last confessional. The woman was stunned. She said, did I hear you right, Bishop? Do you actually want me to ask Jesus to tell me the sins of your past? Exactly, he said. Please call me if anything happens. Well, 10 days later, a woman notified her spiritual leader that she had another vision. The bishop went to her home because he trusted his ability to look in her eyes and to know whether or not she was telling the truth. So he said to her, you told me on the telephone you had another vision of Jesus. Did you do what I asked? Yes, Bishop, the humble woman replied. I asked Jesus to tell me the sins that you confessed in your last confession. Well, the bishop, he leaned forward with anticipation. His eyes narrowed and he asked, What did Jesus say? The woman took the bishop by the hand and she gazed into his eyes and she said, Bishop, these are Jesus' exact words when I asked him about the sin that you confessed. Jesus looked at me and said, 
I can't remember. Can I get an amen? How amazing was that sacrifice? That sins against a holy God could be forgiven. Sins against the king of kings. Rebellion against the king of kings could be forgiven. Hebrews says this, chapter 6, verse 19. We have this hope as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. The angels and Moses and priests, all who came before Jesus, all who come after Jesus, all they can do at their best is point to the way. Jesus of Nazareth is the way and the truth and the life. And in this life, the Messiah can save us from chasing after cultural gold standards that are ultimately going to turn to dross. And only he can lead us into this life to come free from our sins, adopted as sons and daughters of our heavenly father and king. And this Easter... As we bring this series on Hebrews to a close, I want to emphasize the point that I believe the author of Hebrews wants to make above all others, and that is to grab hold of Jesus and hold on, no matter what happens, no matter what comes your way, to fix your eyes on him and do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, to run the race with endurance that is set before you. Well, as the author of Hebrews sets the challenge before us, he warns us. He warns us of the very real threat of faith drift. There's a place to write this in your notes. Faith drift is a clear and present danger in every culture. Even among those who, I've got my eyes set, I've got my eyes fixed, this is what I want. That faith drift is a real thing. Now, I have to do a little translating here because today in video games, drifting is good. Drifting is good. No, this kind of drifting is not good. Not good. In real life, drifting is rarely a good thing. When I was a youth director, we used to tell the teens, you only coast if you're going downhill, right? That's the only time you coast. There was no fast and furious equivalent with chariots or donkeys. They didn't have a reference point. Donkey drift. No, there was no such thing. They would tip over. The only drifting in, in first century, it was the drifting that would happen with boats, And it was not a good thing. Because if your boat drifted in the Mediterranean, if your boat drifted on the Sea of Galilee, you could get in real trouble real quick. The author of Hebrews, he includes warnings like this. Not just at the one we're going to look at here, several points in his letter. He writes things like this. This example is out of Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've just heard. Lest we what? Lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? If we are going to be true to what the Bible teaches, we've got to talk about personal responsibility. And that's just not me saying that. The people that study these verses in the original language, in the original context, they say that too. That's what this, the point that he's trying to make. If you want to be faithful to the scripture, personal responsibility is a big deal. Here's one example of a scholar writing on this specific passage. He says, Having established the supreme authority of the Son of God in chapter 1, 5 through 14, the preacher builds on that truth by turning momentarily from his exposition of Christ... And confronting the listeners with what? 
with their responsibility. That's what he's doing here. He's saying this truth, there's a responsibility that comes with knowing this truth. God's invitation to provide us with a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. It can be neglected. Can it? We have this amenable anchor. It can be neglected. There's a danger that we can drift away from it. A day is coming when one who can speak to the wind and waves is going to calm all the storms once and for all. And on that day, we'll enter into the perfect rest, heaven's shores. But until that day comes, it takes diligence on our part to avoid drifting into the rocks or avoid drifting so far out to sea we can't even see the shore. We don't even know the way home. This isn't the only place that Hebrews issues a similar warning. Similar warnings against falling away or drifting are embedded throughout the letter. When he makes the case that Jesus is greater than Moses, there's a warning. When he makes the case that Jesus is a high priest, there's a warning. And when he provides examples of imperfect people whose faith endured through trials, there are warnings. And this is a church where we will do the best we can to extend the grace that was extended us. And this is a church where we don't hold back the truth. And the truth is, you don't want to neglect so great a salvation. On Good Friday, right here in this room, between two services, about 300 of us commemorated together the sacrifice of a God who stepped into our broken world and made a way to destroy the power of sin without destroying us sinners. God has spoken through the angels. He's spoken through Moses. He's spoken through the priests. And in the fullness of time, He spoke to us through the death and resurrection of His Son. This Easter, I want to encourage you with everything within me to consider anchoring deep to the faith that has been handed down to us. And this is so important because every culture has currents. Every culture has currents and they're unique to the culture. Just one week ago, many of us gathered here for Palm Sunday. And while we were watching these kids process in this room and while we were singing Hosanna, there were news stories being written while we were in here about something that happened in Egypt. Worshippers who gathered to worship the living God who then were bombed by jihadists and pain and persecution and poverty. They can cause us to drift. And that was more the context of the original letter saying, this is going to come your way. You guys, it's, it's going to get worse here. Don't drift. But let me tell you this, and I, I bet we can get an amen out of this. Comfort and wealth and freedom can cause us to drift too, can't they? Can I get an amen on that? We can forget and get preoccupied with other things. Faith drift can happen to anyone, whether you're on the persecution side of the continuum or the protected side of the continuum. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, until death does us part from this fallen world. Or until Jesus returns to claim his own. Here is an invitation that we want to extend to you from the Word of God. There's a place to write this in your notes. The Word of God invites us to anchor deep with anchored people. I want to repeat that because both pieces of this are so important. The Word of God invites us to anchor deep with anchored 
people. Here's one of the many places that this two-part invitation appears. Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 23, a very condensed version of it says this, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Does anyone see the anchor deep here? Hang on to this thing. And if you know anything about Jesus' vision for his church, he says, do not attempt this alone. Do not attempt this alone. But find a body of brothers and sisters. And it says this, if we just keep reading, picking up with verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I find it very interesting that this section flows directly into the strongest statement against faith drift in the entire Bible. We don't have time to look at it now, but just keep reading Hebrews 10. We've done it before in this room. I find it incredibly noteworthy that the instruction to not neglect meeting together comes immediately before Scripture's strongest statement about neglecting God's salvation. I'm going to say a strong statement. I believe it to be true. Nothing will help or hinder your faith like the people you surround yourself with. Can I get an amen to that? Nothing. Nothing will help or hinder your faith like the people that you choose to surround yourself with. Here are just a few characteristics of anchored people. Where did I get this list? I got it from Hebrews. Anchored people honor God's word. Anchored people pursue God-honoring lives. Anchored people encourage one another. And anchored people offer authentic worship. And this is the trying to people that we're trying to be. This is the path that we want to be on as Emmanuel Covenant Church by God's grace through his strength as we come forth from this Easter and we want to endure in these teachings. This is the life we want to honor God's word, pursue God-honoring lives, encourage one another and offer authentic worship. And if this isn't your church home, God's people are all over the world. And I want to encourage you to seek out a group of people like this who are anchored to these things. Seek them out because nothing will help or hinder your endurance. Nothing will help or hinder your faith walk like surrounding yourself with anchored people. And when you find them, don't neglect meeting together with them as some are in the habit of doing. There's one last set of blanks in your notes and here are the fill-ins. Authentic worship with anchored people is one of the most practical ways that we can remember our Messiah. And at this point, I want to invite the worship band up. Let's do it. Let's do this. Let's do what we just talked about. Let's enter into authentic worship. Let's seal this service. The next song up is an amazing song that provides us an opportunity right here in the Shoreview Community Center to proclaim the truths of Easter and beyond. And as they're getting their equipment all ready to go, I want to show you this glimpse of eternity unveiled that Hebrews provides, chapter 12, verses 23 through 24. You've come to Mount Zion. 
and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Every Sunday, every Sunday was originally intended to commemorate this, to be this mini Easter where we celebrate the risen Savior. Hebrews 12 goes on to say this in verses 28 through 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken. Could Pharaoh ultimately shake the kingdom of God? The answer is no. Just wondering. And the answer is no to the next three questions, so get ready. All right? Could Goliath ultimately shake the kingdom of God? No. No. Could Nebuchadnezzar ultimately shake the kingdom of God? No. No. Could Caesar ultimately shake the kingdom of God? No. The kingdom of God cannot be shaken, but it can be neglected. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Let's worship with reverence and awe. Let's pray. God, empower us right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, the spirit of the resurrected Christ, and let us worship you right here, right now, in reverence and awe. Amen.